Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. I'm going to teach today on Matthew 11, and, and something I feel the Lord leading me. Did I forget anything, babe? No. Um, something I feel the Lord leading me into that feels a little risky is the wrong word, but uh, uncharted in our types of churches, in our circles. is I want to take a book of the Bible and teach it verse by verse. So would y'all be down for that or would you, okay. Because I, I, I want to see the Lord blow up the fallacy that if you dig into the scriptures that you lose the flow of the spirit. And more than ever, more than ever, the church needs to see Jesus rightly and the only right way to see him is through the scripture. Does that make sense? I'm really encouraged. I'm seeing people who are far off come close. Um, our next stop, by the way, for the Jesus tour is in Irvine at Pastor Jensen Franklin's place. The place will be jam-packed with Gen Z, millennials, and if you're older than that, I don't even know where I fit, but anybody can come. But the point is, I'm encouraged. A lot of people are giving up on the generation. I'm seeing the Lord call the people to himself called people into his presence. I'm seeing people who are unsure come back to Jesus. At the same time, I'm seeing people uh, leave the faith and leave their calling. Um, yet they still claim to hold on to Jesus. And their version of Jesus has changed. And their version is no longer the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, it is a totally different Jesus. So biblical illiteracy and biblical neglect is causing uh, a deficiency in the body of Christ that has eternal ramifications. It's a big deal to get Jesus wrong. <laughs> you can get a lot wrong but you just can't get him wrong. Does that make sense? Like he can work with, look, I'm not gonna go down there because we're live, but <laughs> I'll just say this. The Holy Spirit, I'll never forget this. Uh, after a crusade one day, my father-in-law said, he said, I want you to learn something about the Holy Spirit, the way he operates, the way he speaks. He doesn't care about certain things that we think he really cares about. And he really cares about certain things that we don't care about. And that is so true. Like, for instance, if you were to, what if, what if your version, listen carefully, what if your version of Christian discipleship actually came from the Bible? It's really quiet. Is it my in-ear that I can only hear... 50%? I'm going to take it off. It's just, I haven't preached in a while, so I think I'm safe. What if our version of being led properly came from the Bible? Don't you think that would blow up a lot of discussions that are a waste of time? Do you think 
possibly if the scriptures defined what it meant to be a disciple, that it will cancel certain arguments that are rooted in offense? So a Christian is to be led of Christ, who is the pattern son. Amen? Therefore, he himself is our doctrine and theology. No? Is Jesus perfect doctrine? You better believe he is. That's what the Bible says. The word became flesh, Hebrews 1. He's the express image, the very brightness of the glory of God. Colossians tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. He is God speaking. Jesus, listen carefully, write this one down. Jesus is the Father's only sermon. Thank you. <laughs> I need it. I'll take it. Jesus is the Father's only sermon. When the Father speaks, he speaks Jesus. All right? Hebrews 1 says this. Actually, let's read it. Y'all are quiet. They gave you melatonin at the door. Can I confess a sin? You're like, yeah, please, please, do it live. Yeah. I snuck my dad melatonin once in the morning as a joke uh, in Greece. We were on a little missions trip. Huh? Yeah, I gave it to him. We were at breakfast. I had my stack of vitamins at the table. Nice Greek breakfast, yogurt, and all types of fruit. It was awesome. Eggs. And uh, I took my vitamins. I put his in front of him. I go, Dad, you have to take your vitamins. We have a long day today. And I switched his vitamin C out for a big fat melatonin. <laughs> so he swallowed it. And then I just stared at him. I go, he goes, what did I swallow? <laughs> And I go, don't worry, give it about an hour, you're going to feel great. You're going to be so rested. We get in the cab, and uh, he's, he's holding on to the, the uh, what do you call that thing? The handle thing, up by the door. He's holding on, his head is snapping. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Uh, so don't be quiet this morning. Hebrews 1, God, who at various times, listen carefully, and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers, how did he do it? By the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. All right. What the writer of Hebrews here is saying, who I believe is Paul, there's a little disagreement there, but whatever, it's my opinion. That in times past, the Lord spoke to us by the prophets, but in, to the fathers, speaking of the patriarchs of Israel, by the prophets, they were the vessel of communication, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now that's much deeper than just saying Jesus came to earth and said a few things. He's saying the father has spoken by the presence of Jesus. The coming of Jesus in his totality and everything he said, everything he did, when he napped, when he walked on water, when he multiplied food. Listen, listen now. I feel the Lord now. Listen. Who he rebuked, how he rebuked them, who he did not rebuke, who he whipped, who he drew near, how he whipped them, when he died, how he died, when he cried, when he laughed, when he prayed, when he pulled people close, when he rebuked people and sent them off. All of that is the Father speaking. Is this making sense to you? And that's why when I first started uh, here, I would say things like this to our students. When in doubt, Xerox Jesus. Copy Jesus. Absolutely true that Jesus is the Father's only sermon. Listen up. He has nothing else to talk about. That's a challenging statement to digest because most of us grew up under topical messages and different series that were designed like a shot in the vein to give me about a 30-minute pick-me-up but never rooted me in this faith that we call Christianity. I'm not just, some of you have heard more about accomplishing your God-given dreams than the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, outpouring of the Spirit, and soon coming return of Jesus. That's unchristian. Like, you cannot remove him and call it Christian. He's Christ. This is, is it my, am I too simple? You, you, it's impossible. So the Father, according to the Bible, has a message called Son. In fact, I didn't say that properly. The Father speaks a language called Son. So if any of you truly encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, regardless of... It's good to be back. Oh, I've got that feeling. All right. But I'm going next year too. All right, so... <laughs> if anybody cuts you open and you're truly filled with the Spirit, you will bleed one message. So... I need you to challenge me in your heart when I'm talking, kindly. <laughs> Does the Bible really say what Michael's saying right now? Because it sounds cool. It's, it's a cool statement to say, the Father's only sermon is Jesus. Man, let's put that on a t-shirt. 
But I want you as solid, mature disciples to go, I need chapter and verse on that. And I'm glad you asked, because I got it. A lot of it. What did the Father preach at the River Jordan? We only have a few moments where the Father utters something from heaven. First moment, the heavens part over Jesus. Here is Jesus identifying with the entire Adamic race. How many of you know Jesus did not get baptized because he was dirty? He got baptized because we were dirty. And this is the identification of Jesus with humanity. So fully man that he identified with the baptism of repentance and had no need to repent. That's called substitution. That's called the innocent for the guilty. And that's the pattern of the whole Bible. The innocent spotless lamb has to die. A poor little lamb, what'd they do wrong? Every day, they're getting their necks cut open. Literally, at church, morning, noon, and night, there's a lamb dying. And you can't come in. You can't even attend Passover. You can't get near the temple unless you bring a lamb to die. That is the narrative of the Bible, where the innocent who is perfect and pure, though the lamb's not perfect, there's one who's perfect, Jesus, but the innocent dies for the guilty, and that's what Jesus does. He comes to the Jordan. He identifies with humanity, walks through the baptism. He tells John the Baptist, for righteousness' sake, this must happen. Right? Do you remember that? What does the Father do? He preaches from heaven. And this is what he preaches. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Sermon number one. Amen? Now we have the Mount of Transfiguration. I, I really want to teach on that one day. Maybe I'll do a, a series on it. <laughs> I want to teach on that because it's so powerful and rarely touched on. But here you have the disciples. They go up the mountain. They are there with the Lord Jesus. Remember, only he can invite you up the mountain. He had to invite them because that type of encounter and all encounter comes by invitation. I've got, look, I want us to be the hungriest church. Nothing makes me happier than to see all, the only people allowed at the altar, you have to be under 25. Nothing makes me happier to see them on their face crying, weeping before the Lord. That's not striving. Uh, coming up to an altar call if you've been saved for a day or you're not saved at all or saved for 40 years. If you feel the Lord drawing you, look, we all need Jesus every day. This whole thing about coming up once implies that the altar saves us. I did my altar call. Show me that in the Bible. So my, my position has always been, look, if you feel like you need Jesus today, come forward. And yeah, you might be on your knees next to somebody who never met him. Who cares? We all need him. You don't eat bread once and just never eat again. Make sense? So Jesus goes up the mountain by invitation. But I want to say, or I'm sorry, he invites the disciples by invitation. This is what I want to say to us. In the midst of our hunger, which I pray will never die, because the moment it does, it will be indicative of a big issue. Death is setting in. You stop eating when you're dying. You, you continue to eat when you're most alive. 
I'd never want that to die. I would rather you be too passionate. I've met a few in our school. <laughs> uh, but I'd rather have that than people who fold their arms and assume, I've heard this before. That, if you study the life of Jesus, is the heart that he walks by every single time. That is the heart that he gladly rejects. I shouldn't say gladly, swiftly rejects. So I don't ever want that hunger to go. However, the only reason we are hungry is because he's inviting us. I don't want us to glory in our hunger because that's a false hunger. That'd be a prideful hunger. Would it not? I want us to glory in the Lord and the Lord alone and realize that if he, if he himself isn't drawing us near, there's no invitation and I have nothing to respond to. A response comes from an initial calling and that calling comes from Jesus. So they go up that mountain and uh, the glory of God manifests the actual manifestation of the Holy Spirit visibly and uh, wonderful Peter I'm sure we either are like Peter or we know Peter uh, who are a little rough around the edges uh, but they're the kind of people you want in a foxhole uh, post Pentecost <laughs> so uh, Peter's like, I have an idea. And Jesus is standing there, shining brighter than the sun, the Bible says. And Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter's like, I know exactly what everybody here needs. You've got these two vessels, God's dearest friends, who he trusts enough to talk to his beloved son about his death that is to come. That's amazing. That just goes to show you that once you gain friendship with the Lord, if you stay with him, it's yours forever. Why did he send Moses and Elijah? Because they'd been friends before. It's the same God. I said it's the same God. And the Bible says that in the, in the Gospel of Luke that they discussed the passion ahead in Jerusalem. So you have Moses and Elijah there uh, in a glorified state. You have Jesus kind of sending a message to these Peter, James, and John. Hey, I want to show you who I really am. You have no clue who you're dealing with here, which is very important because the more clearly you see who he is, the more dearly you receive his word. Let me say that again. The more clearly I see him, the more dearly I receive his word. When I see this one who's shining brighter than the sun, it becomes very difficult to argue with what comes out of his mouth. Because this is no average teacher. He's not, he's born in Bethlehem, but he's not really from Bethlehem. Micah says he's the one of old. He's the one who is ancient. He's the one who comes from eternity past. In fact, eternity dwells in him. Amen? So Peter has an idea. I know what God needs. A tent. And I'm going to build it. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's amazing what we do when we're flustered. And, and really, the only thing Peter should have done was fall on his face. So you have full permission. When you're struck with wonder and the Lord challenges you in the depths, just fall on your face. He's fine with it. It says something. 
All right, so what does the Father say? From the cloud. Remember, the voice always comes from the presence. What does the Father say? This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. That's sermon number two. In John's gospel, Jesus is standing there in the temple and he looks up to heaven and prays. He addresses the Father and the Father answers audibly and the people mistook it for thunder. What was the Father endorsing? His communion with his Son. Who is centerpiece on the throne in heaven? The Lamb who was slain. All right, this is my point. The Father speaks a language called Son because, listen up, He is a good Father. Let me touch on that for a moment. I've heard messages on the goodness of God, the love of the Father, the Father's love, or God being a good Father. I've heard many of those not mention the Lord Jesus. What we really do in those contexts is we imply God is good and we connect that to God doing whatever we want him to do. <laughs> That's our definition. How do you know he's good? Well, he's, he's behind me. He's for me. Yeah. How did he accomplish that? He's with me. Okay. How did he define that? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. He's all about me. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. To prove that, I'm going to ask for the nations. That's my inheritance. I get to pick them. I can pick any nation. That's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 2. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. So, yeah, I'm going to do that. I want the Bahamas. Rarely do they ask for Iraq. I'll take um, Scotland, St. Andrews. Give me uh, another city called Augusta. Augusta. <laughs> Maybe Carmel, California. And so we start to believe that this whole thing about God's goodness is about me. But I just don't have the guts to say it's about me. God is good because, you ready? He makes my dreams come true. <laughs> uh, Mike Miller texts me and goes, bro, vacations are dangerous. Two things are going to happen to you. Basically, you're going to come back with some boldness, he kind of insinuated that, or you're going to think you're going on a tour because you're going to practice so, long, so much. Your game's going to get so good. The fruit of a good vacation is good golf. He goes, do not deconstruct your calling if you start hitting it well. <laughs> and uh, I kind of did for, I was like, wow, I'm hitting it really good. I think we could pay for the building if I just went out there for a little bit. All right. But it's true. It's true. Our definition of God is good. Actually, if it's void of Christ crucified and risen, it's about us. And then it gets swirly when we create our own vision for what we're called to and then spiritualize it. 
there's a criticism on our team. Not a criticism. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy, loving feedback culture <laughs> that I take too long to make decisions. Uh, Yohan goes, Pastor, you're a slow mover. When a Swiss guy tells you that, you know, they invented like watches. So he's probably right. When you preach in Switzerland, I'm not joking. My first time preaching there, they have a clock that Johan was in charge of because he used to work with Jean-Luc in Switzerland. They had me in. They color code their clocks. So it's green at like 20 minutes out. You get to 10, it turns yellow. Then there's, a, there's a, the time that you're uh, spending and then another set of digits, time that, has, uh, that is left, and then they color code them all. And when you get to the five minute mark, it turns red. When you get to two, it starts flashing. And they want God to move. <laughs> so I, I said, Yohan, you guys are intense with these clocks. I can't even read my Bible with this thing flashing. <laughs> and back then, I, 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 I was so young, I really didn't have any equity, much equity to talk like Heidi could. But Heidi took the platform. She goes, it's either the glory or this clock. What do y'all want? I was like, gosh, I got to get better. I got to learn that. <laughs> to remove Jesus, listen, you start to come up with your own calling. And the moment you spiritualize that, you're going to be real tough to give feedback to. And this is how it, this is what I, I'm telling you. I, I don't know, we're, we're gonna have hundreds of students this year. I've been doing this for a while. The ones who make it the furthest and for the longest, who are most blessed, are the ones who readily admit they may have missed it. Possibly you're sitting there today, you're like, well, God spoke to me. If he did, if he did, he will confirm it in people. Too much? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you. No, God will confirm it. How? I'm anointed. Okay. That's the first problem, that that even came out of your mouth. I'm going to give my anointing away. That's a big problem, because it's not yours at all. You just got smeared. That's what the word means, mishach in Hebrew. You got rubbed. It's not yours. I'm not speaking to anybody in this room. This is not, I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. So, if Jesus gladly received 
John's endorsement and testimony. Maybe we should value the same from brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. If you're so convinced of your vision for your life and the uh, some of the peripheral fruit of you receiving that vision is that nobody can go there with you it's probably your own vision I can tell you this right now. There are certain people in my life who are trusted, and it's not just a few, who if they came to me and said, we collectively see concerning things in you. We see a haughtiness in you. We see a pride. We see an issue with your marriage. We see you're not fathering your children the right way. Your teaching is off. It's not the Bible. We're recommending that you have a seat and do whatever they tell you to do. That's the type of heart that God can use. If someone is so convinced of what God told them, but so spiritually mature to know that the scriptures teach their safety in the counsel of many, they're not people you want to follow. Because if God, you don't want to walk into this thing all alone. How does Jezebel die? Through purity and unity. I haven't gotten to Matthew 11. We'll find a way. This is the prophetic morning with scripture. How refreshing. All right. How does Jezebel die? Who throws her off her little tower? Because she loves the tower. She wants people to see her. And she comes to crush the boldness of the anointing. That's what happens. How many feel called to pastor, or plant, uh, go, go and be a missionary or something? Raise your hand. Come on, do it boldly. We're in God's house. I want to send millions from this place. Come on. All right. You will face that uh, like all the time. It's just the way it is. Your boldness will come under attack. Your clarity will come under attack. The swiftness of how you make decisions and why you make them and the, 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 the pierced nature, you'll start to add apologies to the direction you're going. You'll start to just add a little, I don't know, like some salve that's not needed to just clear direction from God regarding the scriptures. This is what it looks like to be believers. We lay our lives down and you start to lose that 
clarity that causes a people to say, I'm getting behind that guy or girl because they know where they're going. Does it make sense? You don't, you don't go into war with somebody who doesn't know where they're going. We took this test, shockingly, I scored high on wanting to win. <laughs> like really high. And uh, so Danny Sook was like, uh, how'd I do, Danny? He goes, you like to win, dude. First thing I did is apologize. I go, I'm so sorry. He goes, sorry. He goes, I don't follow people who like to lose. I was like, oh, wow. He goes, I don't vote for people who like to lose. I don't <laughs> do business with people who like to lose. I want to go in a direction and I want it to be a straight and narrow way. What happens when you get tired and when your thoughts, listen to me, when your thoughts become earthly, you lose your clarity. And you make yourself a victim because you're beaten down and worn out and all of a sudden it sounds like you're broken. You're just tired. And broken and tired are way different. All of a sudden, when you become your own victim, everyone did me wrong, you become the centerpiece of your faith. And the Holy Spirit just very gently goes, hey, um, as Rex Humbard used to say, look down at your hands. See any holes in them? Uh, no, Lord. See any holes in your feet? No. You still got your beard? Yeah. You're not having a bad day. <laughs> That's not a bad day. You tracking? So Jesus, listen very carefully, the posture, the brokenness, the pliability, listen, the capability of being led by the Spirit is beautiful. And even Jesus wants to talk about his passion with his disciples. They were so tone deaf that the Father had to send Moses and Elijah. <laughs> they could not em embrace the conversation. This should be the disposition of our heart. I found something. I I'm telling you, I've... If, let's say you have 12 to 15 trusted voices, and they have to be trusted... And you can't happen on Facebook. That's the most convenient way to get discipled. Because you get to turn them off or on whenever you want. <laughs> you cannot be discipled in a Christian context without human beings around you. Real ones. 
not AI bots, like humans. That's what I tell our kids, my kids when I say, put your phone away. There are humans in the room. Talk to them. <laughs> they are this weird race of people called human beings, all right? The rub of that interaction makes you more like Jesus. What I've learned is that if they're trusted and you get them all in a room, your greatest fear, which is typically this in that context, I really feel God spoke to me. We're typically afraid to offer that to a group of trusted leaders because we think they're going to rain on our parade. I've never seen that happen. I have never seen God in a room with a humble heart that believes the Lord spoke to them, surrounded by trusted voices. I've never seen that person have their dreams smashed. I've only seen them accelerated. And when God said no in those contexts, he was protecting the individual. Oh, I know why the Lord has been talking about this. This is discipleship. <laughs> I'm like, why am I doing this this whole time? What is this? Why am I talking about this? This is what the Bible calls discipleship. And it's not controlling at all. It is so liberating and wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling that when I preach and an elder watches it, they go, you got that verse wrong. You hesitated here and should have gone in faith. Next time, don't say it like that. One time I took a shot at the church, which is contagious now. You have people who've never pastored. Literally, they've never pastored and they criticize pastors publicly. Not from a pulpit, in their bedroom. It's the equivalent of like a guy who can't break a hundred. Well, it happens. Criticizing Tiger because he only won the Masters by seven and not eight. It's, this, this stuff's got to stop, right? The way it happens is, listen carefully, is people believe they're called who have never been called. Because in our circles, you can just start a ministry. You just go, I'm called. Who told you? My mom. Your mom told you you were looking too. She got that one wrong. <laughs> Moms tell us all kinds of stuff. You're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. But do you know what the problem has become? I, I talked about this last week. This thing right here. This platform has become the Lord. Oh, yeah. I said last week, all oh, these platforms, they're just amazing. Four feet higher than the ground, four feet closer to Jesus. <laughs> but these things right here, they're, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. I'm more 
apt to walk with someone who would have never asked for a platform. Those people, it's the David, the Davidic heart that goes, well, you got the wrong guy, Lord. I'm just a shepherd boy. Look, even It's the kind of people whose own fathers don't even see it in them. Here are my sons, and here's the measurement. External reaction. Samuel, look how good they look. The other boy, he's covered in sheep poop. There's no, and that's him, he was. That's what they did. He's a small, ruddy little boy. You wouldn't want him. Samuel goes, perfect. I need a young man or a young woman who isn't so sure of themselves, but is sure of God. David's motivation to kill Goliath was that Goliath mocked the God he loved. He didn't care that Goliath was mocking him. He said, give me my, he said, let me go at him. I will take his head. And then he told him, the birds will eat you. David wasn't convinced of his own ability but he had met the Lord who killed lions and bears. It was all about Jesus. There's something about that heart. I'm not saying be scared. I'm not saying don't go for it. I'm just saying do it biblically. Follow Jesus biblically or you're not following the right Jesus. It's just not him. It's not, I don't know who we think it is, but another Jesus who's not in the scripture is not the Jesus from Nazareth. He's not the Jesus born in a manger. It's not the Jesus who died, was buried, and raised again. It's somebody else. You cannot define him outside the scriptures. You say, oh yes, you can. Jesus would not define himself to his disciples outside the scriptures, so we shouldn't try. Somebody told me, oh, I'm not joking, in a car, face to face. Pastor, you should not tell people to read their Bible. I go, really? I have lines. It takes me a while to get there. But when they cross that one, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> Bring your big boy conversation to the table. And I go, he goes, I go, what's it about? He goes, Jesus. I said, ah. He goes, and we don't have to tithe anymore. I go, this is a convenient theology. <laughs> I go, uh, do you believe the gospel anymore? He goes, oh yeah. I said, well, how do people get saved? He said, you preach the gospel to them. I said, how'd you learn the gospel? He goes, oh, I heard it. I go, from who? The pastor. Where'd he get it? He goes, uh, I said, how do you know Jesus is even real? Have you seen him? He goes, no. Which was comical. But I'm not saying you have to see him, but I'm like, bro, you're so sure of him. You haven't seen him. <laughs> what are you standing on? And he goes, uh, I said, where was he born? He goes, Bethlehem. I go, how do you know? Because I just know. I said, I tell you how I know. The Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. I said, where did he grow up? He goes, Nazareth. I said, how do you know? I said, did he die on the cross? Yeah. How do you know? Between who? Two thieves. How do you know? I said, it's your Bible. That's how you know. 
We must see the Lord Jesus through the scripture. Give me five more minutes, then we'll receive communion. Is this all right? Okay, so the other day, not the other day, a while ago, I got a phone call from a dear, precious heart. I'm not joking. They were so kind. And the person came to the arrival that in our effort to understand uh, the New Testament, that we had to distance ourselves in a sense in our pursuit of the New Testament from the Old. And the reasoning was, this is Jesus. Therein lies the issue. If you don't see that little baby in the manger as the God of the burning bush, you will not obey that little baby in the manger. The majesty of God becoming a man to die, the majesty of it all is this is the God who plundered Egypt. This is the God who rained down hail and destroyed all their crops. This is the God who wiped out their water source. This is the God who destroyed this nation financially. This is the same Lord who consumed Korah and his clan. And here he is. This is the same Lord who spoke the worlds into existence. And here he is lying in a little manger. Listen up. Ready to die. The backdrop is everything. The context is everything. This, wait, hold on. Jesus Christ is Jehovah. That's not saying that the Father is not Jehovah. That's not saying the Holy Spirit is not Jehovah. I'm not saying that. I'm not preaching uh, anything. I am a Trinitarian. I'm, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nonetheless, the Son is the Almighty God. The sun parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptians and destroyed them. The sun was involved when Sinai was consumed with holy fire. Not a candle, a whole mountain consumed with holy fire. This is the God nailed naked to a tree on top of a mountain. This is the Lord. This is Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed, before we take communion this morning, with nobody moving. Now I can use my scripture. <laughs> I'm like, why do I have this scripture? Oh, I want you to hear it clearly. 
He's talking straight to you right now. In love. Listen to these words. Come to me, all you who labor, all you who work, all you who feel worn out, all you who feel enslaved. You can't find peace. Some of you, maybe you've been in the kingdom for a long time, but you're laboring. You're trying to wash you. You're trying to cleanse you. You're having trouble forgiving you. You're trying to please the Lord in your own way. All you who labor and are heavy laden, you feel the weight of everything. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Listen up, and I will give you rest. Close your eyes right where you are. Listen to these words. I, I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here Jesus is saying, be my disciple. You tried it your way. Follow me, walk with me. That's what the word yoke means there. It's not implying a farming yoke. It's a request to be a disciple. Take my yoke upon you. Come follow me. Let me teach you. That's why he says, and learn from me. Learn a new way. Learn a gentle way, a kind way, a restful way. And and listen to this. For I, I am gentle and lowly in heart. One of the greatest ways to spin your wheels and be filled with unforgiveness and stress is to have a lofty heart. The lowly, the lowly pull out, they pull out quickly. They pull out from under stuff because when they're hurt or talked about, this is what comes with lowliness. They actually use it as food. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Now listen to this. For you will find rest for your souls. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv